and go a little bonkers there, you know? He's the king. He lives. He rules. He reigns. I know some people get confused on Palm Sunday, so I thought I'd sh- explain to you what it isn't. I have a picture here what Palm Sunday isn't. Uh, there you go. It is not a Palm Sunday. It is a different kind of Palm Sunday. Uh, speaking of food, uh, Thursday night we have a Passover meal. You're invited. Uh, Pastor Blaine and uh, the McElraths are putting together a, a, a Passover. The word is Seder. Uh, we announced it last week and didn't realize that some folks aren't familiar with that term. It's a dinner, and they've done it since the Exodus of several thousand years ago. I'm guessing 4,500 years, uh, they've done the Passover meal. They celebrate the lamb. And then Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 it's not a lamb. It's me. I am the lamb. And uh, that's where we derive Holy Communion from. And it's, how long are you guys going to go, Dan? Do you know? Are you going to do like the whole thing? Are you going to do half of it or couple hours. Okay, that's about half of it. If you want to do the whole thing, it takes about four hours, and uh, you pretty much endure that, but uh, the two hours is really a good deal. What's the cuisine? Beef. Beef. Yeah, well, I want to know what kind, like stew or filet mignon or... There we go. Garlic rose with mash. See, I, I didn't think you were all dialed in on the theology, but you're dialed in on the protein. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's uh, 6.30 Thursday night. We hope you enjoy it. Now, I knew that the service had a lot in it, and so uh, I wanted to plan a short message, but that didn't really work. So I'm going to do a long message really fast. All right? We are going to cover the entire chapter of Luke 19 today. I'm calling it a day in the life of Jesus. Palm Sunday is known for only part of what Jesus did today. He did far more than enter into Jerusalem on today. And when we take a look at it through Luke's eyes in Luke 19, I think there is actually a flow to it. And uh, see what you think when we're done. You can let me know if you uh, uh, think this made sense to you. Lord, as we study Luke 19 on this day, Palm Sunday, in the life of Jesus, may we have some insight for our own lives, we pray. Amen. Lifelong full commitment is a primary message of the way Luke tells Jesus' day. Sometimes we don't know what happens when in the life of Jesus, but on this day, Luke tells us uh, five things that happened in the life of Jesus today, and And I think that the theme of Jesus today from Luke's perspective is lifelong engagement in what God is doing in his world. One of my favorite things actually was said by Dave Kuyper at a lunch yesterday, uh, excuse me, Friday. And he said, I'm just so moved that God lets me be part of his work in the world. And the way, the way I see uh, Luke's presentation of Palm Sunday is that God's at work in the world. And he said, okay, Kent, you get this part of my work. Okay, Jim, you get this part of my work. Okay, Faye, you get this part of my work. And to be able to have God let me be fully engaged in his work in the world is, is a delight, really. It's a joy. And uh, it starts off in the first, uh, the transformation of Zacchaeus. 
Then he tells the parable of the Tim Mnas. Uh, we have an I in there, but in Greek there's no I, so you might want to say Minas or Minas. Uh, the triumphal entry, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and Jesus cleanses the temple. I, I told my mom what I was talking about. She goes, man, Jesus had a busy day. <laughs> and uh, in fact, this is a very busy day in the life of Jesus. In the narrative of the transformation of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we see Jesus uh, getting uh, uh, down the road in Jericho, and he sees this guy in a tree. I don't have time to talk about the prophetic gift of Jesus, but how did he know his name was Zacchaeus? How did he know? It, it, it's just a prophetic uh, ability that Jesus had in this instance. Anyways, Luke tells us the theme of Jesus' ministry. It's in verse number 10. Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and he repents and he makes restitution. And here's verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if you were a scholar and studying Luke, you would probably say this is the theme verse of the book of Luke. It's definitely the theme verse of what Jesus will be doing today. The day, Palm Sunday, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is example one. And here we are as a, a modern day Christian. God has given us a slice of his mission in the world. And so it starts off today, Kent, your mission is to seek and save that which is lost. And uh, it's a delight to be involved. Then he goes from the mission is to seek and save that which is lost. He goes into a parable. Jesus tells a story about a noble king who needs to go away. And while he's away, he wants 10 people to work diligently with his money. A mina or a, a mna is, it, it is a weight. It is a weight of silver and that weight of silver would equal 100 days wages. So there's different words for that. It would be 100 denarii or 100 drachma. And so let's say an average wage is 30,000 uh, bucks in Anchorage today. Uh, it would be $10,000. It would be 100 days of your wages. And so he gave, he gave one of these weights of silver to 10 people. And he said, now I'm I gotta leave, uh, but when I come back, uh, I wanna see that you did a good job with my silver. I wanna see that you did a good job with my investment in you. Uh, when the king comes back, 10 times guy took his 100 days wages and multiplied it 10 times over. Uh, that is a great growth. Uh, and then another guy, he got five times back. And another guy goes, well, you're a scary king. And so I, I just like didn't use mine at all, uh, but I got the one you gave me and here you can have it back. Here's my take on that. Jesus is saying that uh, I have come to seek and to save the lost and I got to leave. I'm a king that's about to leave. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus will die in four, five, or six days from the telling of this story. I'm going to go away. And while I'm gone, I want you to stay busily and fully engaged in seeking and saving that which is lost. And uh, Jesus uh, said, I will return, or this noble king will return. 
And uh, we need to remind ourselves, uh, how does this relate to our Palm Sunday? Jesus has the same assignment for you and me to seek and save that which is lost. He's been gone 2,000 years. It's so easy in those 2,000 years to get off the mission. It's so easy in those 2,000 years to turn it around to where Christianity is all about the saved, having a good weekend experience. Uh, I, I like that. We want you to have a good experience. But in fact, is it right for us to have a good experience on the boat while most of our city is drowning in the ocean? Maybe we ought to like look over the edge of the boat every once in a while and say, okay, God, here's the deal. You gave me some, uh, you gave me a, you gave me a measurement of silver and you gave the assignment to seek and save that which is lost. And, and so God, I am going to keep that in the focal point of my life. I'm going to keep it in the priority of my life. Next, we have the third uh, story in Luke 19, and this is where Jesus enters triumphantly into Jerusalem. Okay, the, the blanks, I will leave, stay fully engaged in seeking and saving the lost, I will return. This is how I see that in relationship to this message today. So Jesus enters Jerusalem as the king in what is known as the triumphal entry. Yesterday in Jesus' life, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's a rock star Jesus right now because the dead came out of the grave yesterday. And uh, my dad liked to say, he said, Lazarus come forth because if he didn't say Lazarus, all the dead would have come forth. And so he had to identify, just want one of you coming out of there. So he said, Lazarus come forth. Everybody knows Lazarus was so dead, he stinketh, King James. He, you know, he was already decomposing. So he not only came back to life, but he recomposed. And uh, so now Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they're going, this is really the Messiah. And how do they treat kings? They wave palm branches. And uh, I like palm. I grew up in the Arctic. And my view of a good day is sand and palm trees. And so this is sort of like my, my dream day, the Palm Sunday. They wave palm branches and they threw their coats on the ground. And as Dan led in life, uh, they sang Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous time for everybody. So Seek and save that which is lost. Stay fully engaged because the kingdom of heaven is already started. It's already launched. God's future kingdom is already launched here and now. Praise God. This should be inspiring to you, I hope, that in this very moment, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God has been uh, theologically, we would say, inaugurated. The, the kingdom of God is here and now. And part of our ministry then, in this area, uh, I am going to be doing my part of seek and save that which is lost. I'm going to stay fully engaged. I'm not going to bury my mina. And I am going to energetically and exuberantly worship the king. I got a quiet amen. Who said that, Dan? Thank you. A quiet amen. Uh, When you take the flow of the passage, you see that the exuberant and energetic worship is part of seeking and saving that which is lost. And if uh, I don't know how to explain it adequately, I don't know how to model it adequately, 
But when you energetically and exuberantly declare the lordship of Jesus in the world, it is a powerful evangelism ministry. Amen. It is, uh, uh, by, by the way, we're doing heaven's gates and hell's flames. No one has ever told me I gave my heart to Christ at heaven's gates because I don't want to go to hell. Not one person has ever, with his heart, 20-something year doing it. Everybody says, I gave my heart to Christ because I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss this glorious opportunity to be with the Lord. And uh, when you stand among the nations and you energetically and exuberantly declare the praises of the Lord, it is powerful in ministry. Uh, Have you ever praised the Lord in the face of bad news? Have you ever received somebody just saying, you know, uh, uh, there's been a tragedy or there's been a difficulty or you have a disease and you immediately begin to praise the Lord and you found that in that praise and in that energetic and exuberant worship of the Lord, people begin to get attracted to the God whom you serve. And I'm sure she'll get tired of me using her as an illustration, but she's Grand Slam, and that's Deneen Griner-Smith. For those of you that don't know Deneen, her husband and three of her children and her mother-in-law took off several years ago at Birchwood. The weight in the plane shifted, it flipped, and we had uh, uh, standing today memorials on this stage, and Deneen stood up right where I'm standing today at the burial of her husband, her mother-in-law, and her kids, not all of her kids, but uh, uh, Lauren is still living, Uh, and she stood here, and she praised God. I mean, she just gave thanks to God, and there wasn't a person in the room that didn't fall in love with the God that gave Deneen that strength. It was powerful. Beyond it, I don't have adequate words to say how powerful it was. And so the seek and save that which is lost, it includes this energetic and exuberant praise of God. I was reading about prayer the other day, church fathers on prayer. I told Brian this, uh, and uh, Brian kind of got a chuckle because he likes to pray silently. The church fathers say silent prayer isn't prayer, it's thinking. <laughs> you got to like talk. Prayer is like talking. And, uh, and so I think praise is very similar. You say, well, I'm praising Jesus in my heart. Well, it's not blessing me to know that you're doing that. How about you put it out there loud and cheery and and energetic praise unto God. And then there's a, a whole other idea that God notices praise. And some people translate that passage, he's enthroned in the praise. Some people say he inhabits the praises of his people. One way of saying it is, when you energetically and exuberantly praise the Lord, he notices. And so that's part of this slice of the pie that you get called seek and save that which is lost. Then the most uh, interesting switch happens from shouting and joy and partying. We go to the passage, verse 41 through uh, 44, and here we see that Jesus becomes deeply emotional and weeps over his city's inability to see who he is and what he's about. And I, I think I'm... I'm uh, getting a little jaded in the years of following Christ in East Anchorage. And so, and my preparation for this 
TikTok, I've asked God to remind you and me of the depths of emotion necessary to seek and save that which is lost. Sometimes when I dial into it more than I should, I can't hardly go through my day because I wonder, I wonder if that guy knows the Lord. I wonder, I wonder if she knows the Lord. And, and uh, then if we go too far, we can't navigate our life. But I think most of us have gone too far the other way where the guy at the counter is just another guy at a counter, not a guy who has an eternal soul that needs to be sought and saved. Uh, it, it seems to me that the emotions of our church for seeking and saving the lost are a little novocaned. We get a little, we get a little uh, callous, let's say, over the years. There's something right about a mama weeping in prayer because her son doesn't know the Lord. Jesus modeled this. Jesus just had the biggest party ever. They just recognized that he truly is the king. And he immediately goes from there and he knows that Jerusalem is about to kill him. And he knows that they don't know that he could save Jerusalem. He knows that they don't get it. And so he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, how I wish you could see, he would say. Last night I walked up and down these aisles and Edgardo was covering every row. So I didn't do every row last night in prayer. And I was saying, God, whoever sits in this seat today, will you give them deep emotions? For your family and your friends and our city and those who are apart from God. If you're here today and you're not in peace with God, you're not in a right relationship with God, I hope that you have deep emotions about that. I hope that you actually have this sense of like, I'm lost. Because when you know you're lost, then you know that God has already come to your side. He's not lost. You are. And he's right there ready to redeem you. He's right there ready to change your life. He's right there ready to be a, an incredible assistant to everything that you hope and dream for. He's ready to write your name in the book of life. I think what we are approaching is we're approaching a lack of possible lack of emotion in us for Jerusalem. I've seen it happen one time in my life in this way, very similar story. We were doing our Holy Spirit conference. Joe Castleberry said, I got a buddy from El Salvador. I'd like to, I'd like to have him come up and just see uh, Alaska. I said, no problem. And and I said, what would you like to do? And he said, oh, let's look around. So we went up to Flat Top. I took Edgardo Montano, now our pastor of Hispanic Ministries. I took him up onto Flat Top. And I said, over here, look, you can see Eagle River. And here's uh, Richardson and Elmendorf and downtown. That's Mount McKinley. And the Spirit of God came in Edgar Edgardo. And he began to weep. And he just threw his hands in the air over our city. And he wept over Anchorage. And he said, I see the ice on fire for God. Now you know it is burning ice. But I was there in a Palm Sunday moment in Edgardo's life and it moved me deeply that God was doing this in Edgardo. And it moved me deeply that I wasn't with him weeping too. Deep emotions. Deep emotions. To have God weeping is an interesting concept. And uh, one guy I studied this week, he said, 
Jesus was weeping, not God. But that separates the incarnation into two categories. We think a heresy. On that day, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it was God weeping. It was Jesus weeping. He's fully God and fully man all the time, both. That which is lost. And to think that Jesus would say, I want you, Kent, to seek and save that which is lost. And I'm asking you, Kent, to get your emotions deeply involved in the fact that people in your city are lost. Many people don't see what God has done in Anchorage, but he wants me to stay engaged emotionally. Then the last one is he cleanses the temple. He's just been weeping over Jerusalem, and he comes to the place where the lost are supposed to be found, the temple. Now, uh, the outer court... uh, where they were buying and selling money and sacrifices and all of that, is the place where Gentiles are supposed to pray. It is the court of the Gentiles. And so what was supposed to happen there is non-Jews were supposed to be able to come and encounter God. But the Jews really had lost any interest in Gentiles encountering God. And so they took the court of the Gentiles where the Gentiles were to pray and they turned it into business as usual. They turned it into a way to trade. You need to exchange money. Uh, Everybody who travels overseas, you have to exchange money. And if you were going to buy a lamb for a sacrifice, you had to have the money. So you had to exchange the money and you had to buy the lamb. That all had to happen. But where it happened, it happened where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to pray. In other words, it happened where the lost were to be found. So it's a continuation of the seek and save that which is lost of the story of Zacchaeus at the beginning of Jesus' Palm Sunday. And Jesus looks at the very area where the lost are supposed to be able to connect with God, where the, where the Gentiles are supposed to be able to pray. And he's overwhelmed that people in the temple have forgotten the priority of the temple to be a place where Gentiles and Jews alike can encounter God. And so you know the story probably. He makes a whip and he starts chasing them out of the the temple area known as the court of the Gentiles. He flips over the tables and he says this, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? In other words, Jesus is so passionate at the end of Palm Sunday that he is saying, you have created all kinds of distractions and displacements. They can distract and displace us from our proper engagement in the mission to seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus did not want that at all. And so as he wraps up his Palm Sunday, he comes along and he drives out everything that distracts and everything that displaces his ministry, even for the Gentiles. And so today as we say God gives me a slice of Palm Sunday and he says I'm seeking and saving the lost. I want you can't to not bury your silver. I want you to stay fully engaged in seeking and saving the lost. I want you to celebrate because in worship, exuberant and energetic worship, I'm reaching the lost. And, and I want you to, I want you to uh, uh, feel it emotionally at a deep level. I want you to have that in the core of your being. And I want you to drive far from your heart anything that distracts you from the mission of seeking and saving the lost. 
So much of church life is about taking care of people on the ship and not fishing for men. Dennis Agajanian, we're called to be uh, not keepers of the aquarium, but fishers of men. So Palm Sunday, it's about Jesus coming in triumphantly. We want you to exuberantly worship and praise God among the nations. A funny story. You guys remember Lynn Heim? Some of you might remember Lynn Heim. Speaking of missions, uh, y'all gave $3,500, I think, for Sharon to go do the uh, uh, trafficking ministry. Sharon, congratulations on their church loving you last week. Thank you for that gift. Lynn Heim was in Mongolia, and they, they walk their part of their penance, the Mongolians, would be to walk around this uh, mountain trail where they had like rocks piled up and flags. I think maybe some kind of like idol type deal. I went there. I don't know exactly what it was about, but the priest would tell them, you got to walk around seven hours or whatever. So people would walk around. So Lynn Heim got the idea. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go before everybody else gets there and I'm going to walk backwards around it, praising Jesus. <laughs> so, so he would go there and he walked backwards around that shrine, praising Jesus. And I have an idea. That's a really good Palm Sunday thing to do. Amen. It's a really good Palm Sunday thing to do. And so today I, I cover a whole chapter real quickly and ask myself this question. Am I fully engaged with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost? Am I, am I really engaged in this between Jesus first triumphant entry and his second triumphal entry? Am I fully engaged in his mission? Knowing people I love don't see or know Jesus. Am I fully engaged emotionally in their plight? It's okay to weep over Anchorage. It's not only okay, it's probably good. I think Anchorage needs a pastor or two or ten or a hundred. Where we get together and we just weep that our city doesn't see who Jesus is. And I think it's good that we would say, you know what, in here, this is a place for people to come to Christ. You know, it's hard, you guys. And I, I, But if you're saved, say amen. amen. Okay? You're all right. If somebody that's lost offends you, you're going to be okay, right? So I'm a youth pastor here, just starting my ministry, and I, I see this guy down uh, on the Malden Road. He has a chain wrapped around his neck, and he's got a chain from his ear to his nose, and he's wearing like a black trench coat, and he just looks nutso really he just looks crazy i said dude you really need to i keep seeing him nah, i don't need jesus you do you need jesus nah i keep seeing him i invite him to church he comes to malden community assembly on sunday morning and the usher kicked him out he said you got to take that chain off to come in here take off that trench coat you're coming in this place and I thought, Usher, dude, you're okay. You know Jesus. Let's make it a safe place for people who don't. Yeah. Chuck Smith's famous now. He's with the Lord. Their little church in California back in the 60s, they just put in new carpet and new pews. It's a, just a beautiful thing. And on dedication day, some hippies heard about it. They came in barefoot, in shorts, all muddy. They walked down to the front row and they sat on the carpet and they sat on the pews cross-legged like this. After church, the board came to Chuck. 
They said, Chuck, uh, we can't be having those kinds of people come into our new carpet and our new pews. Those kind of people are, you know, they're going to mess up our room. When they came back Sunday night, Chuck Smith had ripped out all the new carpet. Because it's a place for the lost to find Christ. Well, maybe they, anybody sit by Eric? Anybody remember Eric? How many know Eric? Eric? Anybody sit by him when he smelled like alcohol so bad? I mean, he'd sit down here. He liked to sit in the front row. He'd sit down here. And man, it was, it was hard to preach with all the alcohol smell coming off of Eric. How many of you are okay with that? It didn't hurt you. What's he on now, Blaine? 90? Uh, he's about 65 or 70 days. 70 days of sobriety. He met Christ here. He's hanging in there. My house shall be called of all nations, a place where you can seek and save the lost. You say, I, I, I didn't really come to church because I, I, I thought I'm so bad I can't go in. We were all that bad when we came in. Your sin's different than mine, but sin and sin equals sin. It's a place to come and seek and save that which is lost. Next Sunday... It's funny to me. Next Sunday, we'll have strippers here. Next Sunday, we'll have pimps here. Next Sunday, we'll, people will leave knives and pot and needles. And every, every heaven's gates afterwards, we got to clean up all the sin that gets left on the floor. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. Because it's a place to seek and save that which is lost. So I say to this, this lady... Hope you come see our drama about heaven and hell. I don't know if you believe that it's true or not. She goes, I know there's hell. I live in it every day. Come on, sis, we got a seat for you. They drag you out of bed in adultery and throw you at the feet of Jesus. We got a seat for you. You're a robber, tax collector, climb up in a sycamore tree named Zach. We got a seat for you. Maybe you're just a guy that's frustrated and said, I keep trying to do my best and my best isn't good enough. We got a seat for you because his best is good enough. And so we're going to worship and I'd like you to take out your crazy little palm. I'd like you to just sort of wave that from time to time. It's not going to be high energy, but it's going to be energetic and exuberant praise. Go ahead, Dan, let's do it. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy, Lord. And worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. And worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, Lord. Exuberant praise. We live for you. The name above every other. Amen. The name above every name. And Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Yes. Worthy 
of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Lord, we live for you. 